0: Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night, and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin. It is November 1963. We are doing part two of this Beatles month. Um, They're in the middle of a big tour. They've been doing great work. It is the 16th of November and they've moved from Bristol the previous night to the Winter Gardens in Bournemouth. A busy time. And again, this thing of the US paying attention is very true in Bournemouth. The US
1: are starting to pay attention to the extent that there are three camera crews from ABC, CBS and NBC, all there to film parts of the concert at the Winter
0: Garden Theatre. And there's also a brief John and Paul interview for CBS. Um, And there's also this possibility that they could be in Life
1: magazine. This is such a strange thing so there's a photographer from life magazine terence spencer so he and his assistant were invited uh to the hotel brank some tars Perhaps people can tell us if it's still there um where the Beatles were staying but the Beatles don't turn up for the photo shoot so effectively they turned down what would have been the 13th of january 1964 cover of life magazine life magazine is a big thing mm. and spencer later remarked that they must have been the only people in show business ever to have turned down a live cover now I checked and their first appearance on the cover was then not
0: until August the 28th 1964 so I do wonder how true that story is were they really in line for getting a, like it could have just been a life magazine story could have been you know, and maybe when they saw which way the wind was blowing in January sixty four, they could have bumped them up to the cover. Um, I'm not totally convinced that somebody was going to randomly put them on the cover of Life magazine. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But um, it's always the first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, whether it was for the front or for the inside of the magazine, they they missed their shot literally. Yes. Um, but the footage that's recorded for the telly appears on the 9th of December nineteen sixty three on a thing called Beetleland a uh, report called Beetleland such a good title great title and it all gets reused on the Jack Parr show on the 1st of January 64 and um, you know they're, they're having a good time in, in Bournemouth they go for a post show meal yeah Beetle's gotta eat Beetle gotta eat I'm always saying that did Beetle get to eat, as we also say? No, the restaurant
1: no. turns them away, apparently, um, because there was a, the restaurant they were going to was already booked for a private wedding. Now, supposedly what happens is the groom ushers them in. Would you do that? I don't know. And then supposedly the band go back to their uh, hotel, grab some instruments, come back and give a private one-hour party performance for the wedding crew. What?
0: Mm,
1: I mean... Okay. It all seems very
0: unlikely. You'd think, well, would there be a photo? You'd think somebody might have popped out a photo. It's certainly a new story to me. Um, But you'd be very happy to have the Beatles at your wedding. Very good. Yeah, but you'd think they'd want to, like, lie down. Yeah. They're busy. It's not like, oh, we'll just do another gig. Oh, the Beatles. Oh, right. (laughs) Um, 17th of November, they go to Coventry Theatre, and that's in... Uh, Coventry. Coventry. And that's in the Midlands. Yeah. Okay, my geography's getting better. 18th of November, finally. 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 A day off. A day off. And what do they do on their day off?
1: Well, they go to a ceremony at EMI House in London where they're given silver
0: presentation discs to mark their extraordinary record sales. Mm. So not really a day off. No, it's not a day off at all. Um, They're presented with discs for Please Please Me and also for With the Beatles, which, curiously, is not in the shops yet. It's advance orders. That is how they count these things in those days. And uh, Sir Joseph Lockwood is there. Good old Sir Joe. Good old Sir Joe. And George Martin is there. Yeah, good old Sir George. <laughs> he wasn't Sir George at the time, but um, he gives him a disc for marking the sales of the Twist and Shout EP. I like
1: the fact that it's a smaller disc mm-hmm. to reflect the fact that it's... Less e-
0: music. Less music, yes. or smaller EP disc. Can we take a moment to talk about how the Beatle EPs have slipped out of the culture? And, you know, I, if, if, if we were to do an episode on the Beatle EPs... not Just write that down. Beatle EPs? I have to admit, I don't have any particular knowledge about the Beatle EPs per se. Like, you know, we all kind of have a, a set knowledge of the albums or the order they come out or what they look like and all that kind of stuff. But I think that kind of EP knowledge has slipped away. It was very much of its time. It was of its time. It was... There were no,
1: no such thing, I think, as an EP in the united states of america Mm -hmm. so it's a uk phenomenon the idea i think is it's a halfway point between the two sides of a seven inch single and 12 14 tracks on an lp so they take the four usually most popular Mm. songs off an lp put them on an ep and then the teenagers and people who don't have enough money to go and buy an lp can buy an ep or in the twentieth, twenty-first century, you know, you can buy them as CDs and mm-hmm. all sorts of different formats. Um, but yeah, it, it's a strange phenomenon. it sort of finishes around nineteen sixty-six. I'm want to say it's maybe Nowhere Man or something like that. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of fun, but, and then it sort of slightly resurrected for Magical Mystery Tour. Some talk about a Yellow Submarine EP, EP that doesn't uh, happen in sixty-eight. But yeah, it's an odd thing. You can, I mean, I do. I have a couple. Of them, but I'd never collected the EPs. Mm. Um, but there was a Long Tall Sally EP came out and was mm. reissued for Record Store Day a few years ago, and yes. it was a sort of standalone. We talked about this as we a did a Long of, Tall Sally episode. because it, it's the only
0: original EP. The Long yes. Tall Sally EP is yes, it's the only original yeah. material EP.
1: Um, and uh, you know, they, I have them on CD. Mm. Little, Small three-inch CDs in a
0: box. Yeah, it's it. It is to do with cost, you know, because an LP was significantly more expensive yeah. than a single, and um, the the point of the EPs would be that they would pull album tracks after the album had come out and then kind of recycle them. So it's almost like a mid-price reissue type thing of the, of the of the, yeah. the songs. Um, but also, albums did not sell as well as singles.
1: No, up to this point, generally, generally not. So what you're saying is that uh, Apple should cease all other promotional activity and we should just reissue the
0: EPs is that what you're saying in, in several different versions of streaming well I'm sure we would all buy them but I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is there isn't this kind of cultural memory that has lingered no. about the EPs the way it has with the albums and the singles and a few other bits of no I
1: think the only one if you call is the Twist and Shout EP? Yeah, because and that's probably because of the cover with them sort of jumping up in the air. because yeah. that becomes such a sort of iconic. And shot. And, and
0: even Magical Mystery Tour gets yeah. subsumed into the album. But anyway, I digress. But what what are we if not our digressions? Um, the Beatles after their uh, party they um, get brought to a formal lunch in the boardroom of EMI House with all the executives and special guests and I'm sure they had to do a lot of glad handing and shaking hands and all the rest
1: they'd have loved that
0: yeah well, I don't think so and um, so that is how they spend their day off M- meanwhile Mal crashes the car yeah uh, he has to take uh, you had one job
1: Mal Mal <laughs> well, he had many jobs <laughs> well but, that's uh, true actually yeah. Uh, so yeah so Mal is taken to hospital having mm. crashed and uh, Tony or as I've written in my notes <laughs> Tiny Tiny Bramwell Tiny Bramwell, uh, takes over driving duties temporarily. But also on this day, mm-hmm. a Church of England vicar asks them to record a song to encourage attendance at church, it seems.
0: <laughs> and they get straight to it. They get to, oh, come all ye faithful. It's a bit yeah, late in yeah, the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit late in the day on the 18th of November to say, uh, chaps, could you do a Christmas song? and they've already well they've already got their uh, Christmas uh, fan club messages is coming down the pipeline Um, 19th of November they're in the Gaumont Cinema in Wolverhampton that is nearby that's not a big that's the Midlands yes so they're still close and then the 20th of November they're at the ABC Cinema again in Manchester and this is a well-documented famous gig. This is well-documented
1: because Pathé News are there filming them uh, singing She Loves You and Twist and Shout and there's sort of backstage and crowd scenes and this is all sort of edited into an eight-minute cinema feature entitled The Beatles Come to Town and it's shown for a week uh, at Christmas, December 22nd. Only a week. You'd Hmm. think, you know, this if you hadn't been one of the lucky 120,000 people to get a ticket, you'd think you would go to the cinema...
0: But wasn't that the nature of Pathé News, that yeah. this is the news? Yeah. So the rolling news in, in this case was just a rolling cinema reel for a week. So they would be doing these features and that's it. You had your week. It wasn't news once the week was over. I suppose so. I suppose that's so. That's the whole but point.
1: Also, and this I find is very interesting, Granada TV, which is the sort of regional... ITV, region. ITV broadcaster. Yeah. They interview the Beatles about their forthcoming US tour. So this oh. is on the 20th of November. But wait, I... Notes. They're not at number one yet, Stephen. Well, I think, again, it must just be don't put this out if we don't get to number one.
0: <laughs> yes. We're going to go to number one if, uh, if we get a tour. No, the other way around. And, um, yeah, so, so it, all the wheels are in motion
1: All the wheels are in motion. They are openly talking about the fact that there is a, 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 an upcoming US tour. Brian is in America, sorting all the arrangements out like with yep. Ed Sullivan. And the only person that seems not to be aware is Paul McCartney. What do you mean? Not be aware in twenty twenty three? So, but it's interesting that you know it's 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 not just oh we don't know mm-hmm. we do know hmm. it's just that the the legend of we wouldn't go until we got a number one has
0: become fact and we would point uh, listeners into our I want to hold your hand episode and our Ed Sullivan show episodes which overlap with this time to give you an idea yeah. of exactly what is going on but. The point is that apart from the whole UK phenomenon, they would have been totally within their rights to just sort of sit on their laurels and ride it out big time in the UK. You kind of have to think the ambition here is pretty stunning that instead of this being their victory lap for 1963, where they're doing this massive tour and they're about to put out a massive album and all the rest, the point is that their manager is abroad and he's actually saying, no, 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 this doesn't stop at Christmas. There's other mountains to climb. This is totally proactive. Absolutely, you know, Brian has a
1: plan, and he is working on the plan, and it is well in hand. The Beatles are fulfilling the first stage while he is off in America plotting the second yep. leg of the. So it's
0: a, it's a very thought out strategy. And the other thing that happens in Manchester is that there's an important person in the audience. Mr. Derek Taylor is Mm. there. uh, Friend of the show. Friend of the show, (laughs) reporting for The Daily Express. Now, he has already seen them in Manchester in May 1963, so this isn't his first time, and obviously we have our Derek Taylor episodes that you can all enjoy. So he is there. His wife, Joan, is not there. She is pregnant. She's eight months pregnant. Uh, So he has brought his sister-in-law, Diane, who's only 16 years of age, and so prime Beatle fan fan. Candidate Um, And you know I guess uh, you couldn't Really bring an Eight month old An eight month Pregnant lady To a gig like that Could you You certainly couldn't He
1: talks about this In 50 Years Adrift His uh, hard to find Very expensive book And he says specifically A Beatle concert In that phase Of their career Was no place For a woman In that phase Of pregnancy So two things I would say
0: (laughs) I know where you're going
1: One She seems to spend A lot of the 60s Pregnant And secondly, (laughs) this would not have been the riskiest Beatles-related incident involving his pregnant wife ever to occur.
0: Go listen to our Derek Taylor episodes if you haven't. Um, This was their seventh appearance in total in Manchester. And at this point, it's a press hullabaloo, a media sensation. And, um, you know, Derek puts this phrase together, which I really like, which is, uh, it is quite simply the ultimate phenomenon of show business. And that's kind of what we're getting at here. They are... Rewriting show business in their image throughout this kind of month in terms of what makes show business interesting what you know the whole culture of the performer is as interesting as the performance and how big can showbiz get and how pervasive can it be uh, almost show business as a lifestyle adjunct
1: yes and he does say this statement it was quite simply the ultimate phenomenon of show business was both grandiose and factual and he re- reprints In his book, the entire uh, review that he gets, and even the first line, Beatlemania in its sobbing, throbbing extremities gripped Manchester last night. It captivated the teenagers of the city and far beyond. It drew 5,000 of them inside the Apollo Cinema to share the thumping ecstasy
0: of their electronic excitement. It's pure Derek Taylor. Mm, electronic excitement. And once again, he talks about how it uh, tore half the city's police force, men and women, from normal duties. It they totally mobilised the first aid resources of South Lancashire, men and women, even earnest children. And this is something that's going to appear very soon in Parliament as a, as a as an issue, but he also talks about the lads themselves. That you know, you know, he names them Ringer, George, Paul, and John. But he talks about how this is interesting that they are going in and out of the show. This is part of the day's work as well, and the crowd are paying attention to this.
1: Yeah, and he he talks about the fact that the the band themselves trying to regard themselves as everyday Liverpool entertainers, but he he also talks about the fact that there's ticket tight out outside and he said the apollo had dozens and he said mostly tickets sold by men who were in the same spot 10 years ago when johnny ray was the draw eight years ago when it was bill Haley, or this may when it was cliff richard so he's sort of referring there to this turnover the shelf life mm. but he's already alluded to the fact that this is something else this is the ultimate phenomenon so there's a contrast between that and the fact that yeah, well, you know, I've been here before. I've seen it. Johnny Ray, Bill Haley, Cliff Richard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These, this is different.
0: Yes. And, you know, if you're Cliff Richard and you're reading that, you're like, hey, wait, I'm still I'm, I'm still, still a thing, thing haven't still. I? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like his description of the Beatles themselves dressed as Beatles, looking like Beatles, slid quietly into the cinema in the mid-afternoon. No policemen's uniforms this time. That sort of game can be played only once. So that's referring to when they were mm. hiding and dressed up as policemen. Um yeah, so he's as much reporting on the whole phenomenon than the gig itself.
1: I think that's interesting. This is not a concert review. He's talking about the circus around them. So a battery of cameramen which would frighten Khrushchev. Tier on tier of flash bulbs, Flash, newsreel cameras, word, television cameras, gently hummed. It was all Christian names. Look this way, George. John, pull Ringo's hair. Fall off a chair, Ringo. Ringo falls. So he's he's not describing the gig. He's just describing the circus that accompanies them.
0: And he does describe Lennon as the blandest beetle of them all, which is a bit of an odd sentence. I don't yeah, know what I, he means there.
1: I, th- I think, I, I can only think he means he's the one that's not performing. Mm. You know, that everyone else, Ringo, Paul, George, they're maybe going along. Lenin is sort of more sardonic about the whole thing.
0: And he does talk about this fact that you know, they're, they're about to be mentioned in Parliament um, because there's MPs who are concerned about the amount of police protection and the associated cost. And George, classic George, says, um, you know, we don't cause the hysteria. We just arrive, sing and play and go, said George. The fans do the rest. We love them. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's not George's fault that everyone's just going crazy. No, no, it's not. It's not their fault. Hmm.
1: And he said, "Yeah, the stalls were like a nightmare. March fair, no one could remain seated, clutching at each other, hurling jelly babies at the stage, beating their brows. The youth of Britain's second city surrendered themselves totally."
0: Yes, and again, that phrase again—the ultimate phenomenon of show business. It's its present and its future, uh, and you know this is Derek's big break to the Beatles, even though he's have seen them before. Did I say big break? End of part one, intermission. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23 shopify.com slash retail 23 end of intermission part two welcome back so the beatles have taken the world by storm and they've been seen by derek taylor in manchester where do we go from manchester carlisle 21st november that's not far away and this is the day when they do get mentioned in parliament about the cost of policing their shows and there isn't really it's really—it's—it's kind of just showboating there isn't really any big law or decision made
1: No, it's just raised in Parliament and there's a bit of a chat but the idea or, or the notion is these entertainers mm-hmm. are pulling police away from their regular duties the public purse is paying for protection and George you know we said he made the point well you know it's not us we just turn up uh, the fans are there but it has to be paid for and it is Increasingly, Beatlemania is on the front pages because of the fans,
0: the crowds, the reaction, the hysteria. But the other thing that's interesting about this is that it puts the Beatles on official Parliament record. The record that's been Hazard, kept. Yes. Yes, that's been kept for hundreds of years. The Beatles are now being transcribed into parliamentary lore for the ages yes you know
1: excellent so you think thousands of years from now people
0: are going what are these well and the space children of 20 of 2000 are smoking their cigars reading their old copies of Hanson they'll be able to know what's going on Um, that's the 21st of November in Carlisle Uh, the next day is November the 22nd and this is quite a day but not for Beatle reasons not for Beatle reasons not just for Beatle reasons
1: this is the day that uh, President Kennedy is shot in Dallas
0: Yes. Now the Beatles have an alibi.
1: They do. Mm-hmm. They have an alibi. They were playing the 18th date of their tour at the Globe Cinema in Stockton on Tees.
0: Um, and the this does dovetail into the Beatles story because they are on. They're 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 mentioned on CBS News in the morning. There's an article about them yes. in the states on the news. Yes.
1: So CBS Morning News carries an item about them, which was due to be reshown in the evening. But <laughs> you know. Dallas yes uh, so they get sort of bumped from the, the
0: news reports so you know it's it's one of those interesting what ifs there was a primetime news report ready to go but the, the, the story that comes in from Dallas uh, just takes over the airways for the rest of the day and obviously due to the time difference the Beatles don't know any of this on the day itself
1: no no, no. Uh, but this is also the day on which with the
0: Beatles is released so in terms of history coming together you know The 23rd of November is a very different date to the 21st of November because of what happens in between. So we have With the Beatles coming out. And it's quite uh, reasonable to say that this was a highly anticipated record.
1: Highly anticipated. So it has advance orders in the UK of 300,000. Quickly sells more than half a million. By September 65, it sold over a million Mm -hmm. in, in the UK. It is greeted by the press. NME writes, a great album with a variety of
0: tempo, variety of tempo variety of tempo is that uh, good Latin
1: I don't think so mm. uh, well a variety of tempo yes it's a variety so I think that is correct okay well that is done. correct uh, and a raw style that puts the Beatles unmistakably at the top of the tree you just don't get music mm-hmm. journalism like that these days
0: um, yes it has advance orders of 300,000 copies and it quickly sells more than half a million copies um, the album it replaces at number one is Please Please Me mm. So Please Please Me has been number one for 30 weeks It is displaced by With the Beatles which is going to stay at number one for 21 weeks and that really affects my OCD that that's 51 weeks it's not 52 weeks It's not 52 weeks. That really is difficult for me to handle that just couldn't Okay The Beatles couldn't have been number one for an entire year but how, how do you feel about the fact that it uh, the album peaked at number 11 on the singles charts I just can't handle this kind of thing but that's you know, we alluded to a few minutes ago that singles were the number one sellers. Albums were not sellers. And the singles chart was actually a representation of all discs of all sorts. And the original album charts only existed because albums sold so little, they didn't make the singles charts. So you had to create the album charts. So yes, it is funny that with the Beatles, the album gets to number 11. Uh, on the singles chart, but it also goes to show a couple of things. First of all, how much money they are generating. Yes. Because, as we said, albums are not cheap and they are s- selling hundreds of thousands of albums. And um, we said in our Please Please Me episode that the Beatles were an albums band straight out of the box. Yeah. And so Please Please Me has been number one for 30 weeks. It is a great album. There's no filler on that album and people have a high expectation. So, there's loads of episodes across this month where there's a little bit more petrol put in the fire as we said at the start. There's the tour itself. There's the Royal Variety performance and now they are dropping this. Uh, they didn't say dropping at the time but they are dropping this album which is as good as the debut that people are dying to hear and yeah, it's value for money. It's value for money and it's a perfect marketing
1: strategy. There's a tour. There's a big TV performance. There's a single there's an album.
0: And again, this is an album without a single. Correct. And we'll come to the single in a moment because the single itself isn't just out uh, for for another couple of days. Um, But yes, and you, you kind of look at that and think, well, that didn't happen by accident. All of this is very carefully stage managed.
1: And you've got Brian with his sort of overarching strategy, but then you also have a team around them. You know, Derek Taylor is coming into the mix. But Tony Barrow, Tiny Barrow, I think I'll always think of him as a From now his on, name. his name Tiny is Tiny Barrow. Barrow. Uh, Tony Barrow is effectively their press officer. He's doing the press releases. Uh, he, he has a degree of involvement in the strategy, and he writes the sleeve notes, mm. which I prefer Derek's sleeve notes. <laughs> Tony Barrow's sleeve notes are good, They're a little, but they're a little bit kind of factual. They're less emotive than Derek's well uh, well, where does Tony go he's like
0: it starts with like 14 tracks are recorded it's very
1: factual it's very factual 14 freshly recorded titles including many surefire stage show favourites are featured on the two generously filled sides of this record I mean it is a it's more in the nature of a press release I think yeah The thing that I find odd is the next sentence where he said, the Beatles have repeated the successful formula which made their first Please Please Me LP into the fastest selling album of 1963. I mean, he's explicitly saying, Mm. well, we've just done the same as we
0: did before. But that wasn't seen. The Beatles haven't yet invented... The idea that people have to progress from one album onto the next. I suppose. It's not. Basically saying, Oh, you like that thing? Then this is the thing again. Here's more of the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he talks about yeah, they have eight of their own original compositions alongside a batch of personal choice pieces. I don't know whether that was an intentional number that was mm. designed to match Please Please Me. Um yeah, and then he just goes through each of the individual songs. And
1: it does you know follow the same template. So in the same way that Please Please Me kicks off with I Saw Her Standing There, which is a kind of just instant classic rock and roll song. Mm. Uh, uh, This album kicks off with It Won't Be Long, or
0: as Tony Barrow writes, It Won't Be Long, now. Now. Mm, no, yes. <laughs> Um He also talks about the debut of a certain um, George Harrison as a songwriter.
1: Yes, I like this. I'm going to read the whole paragraph. Okay, then go on. Team George. Don't bother me, marks The disc debut of George Harrison as a composer. It is a fairly fast number with a haunting theme tune behind George's double track voice. The rest of the fabulous foursome. He's very big on alliteration, isn't he? Create some unusual instrumental effects. Paul beats out a lean, hollow boned rhythm from the clavs. John uses a tambourine and Ringo hits out a loose skinned Arabian bongo. Brackets, don't ask me where he picked that up, exclamation mark brackets, to pound out the onbeat <laughs> percussive drive. Again, very much of its time.
0: <laughs> Arabian bongo. That's a, that's a genre I quite like. Um and Ringo does play the bongos as well, also on Until There Was You. Um yeah, it's a bit uh, what would you say I don't It's it's a bit factual but pe- not pedestrian is unfair no it's but, it's factual
1: it's just it's just it's just the facts just the facts, ma'am.
0: Just yeah. the facts. Um, um, you know he ends the notes by saying you know money makes a completely worthy climax to this knockout programme hope it doesn't leave you too breathless to flip back to side one for a repeat play session with the Beatles
1: with the Beatles see what he did there he I mentioned there. the
0: title in the thing
1: um yeah, can I read my favourite line? Go on. He said, then. Paul issues forth with the invitation, Hold Me Tight, on the fairly brisk second track of Side Two. That's as much as he can say <laughs> about Hold Me Tight. We will come on to this at some point, but fairly brisk. How would you describe this track? Fairly brisk. Well,
0: it's not as good as Hold Me Tight from Red Rose Speedway. No, no. We'd come on to that as well. <laughs> Which is my favourite um, mistake in the archive collection. I know I've talked about this before.
1: It's like being in a room with... Me. Owen Paul.
0: <laughs> My favourite waste of time.
1: Oh, is that what it was? we just cut that whole thing. Okay, then.
0: fine. Uh, um, so, so, yes, November the 22nd, this long-awaited album is coming out. Um, JFK's assassination will take over the news stories for for, for the foreseeable future. Um, but the tour is still going on and they're playing in Stockton on Tees. But um, And the show must go on.
1: The show must go on. So, Newcastle. Hmm. um, They get reviews in Newcastle.
0: Yeah, no, this is, uh, it's nice to see, well, not nice to see, but it's, um, you know, not all reviews have to be glowing, shining, excited for the Beatle reviews. No, no, whoever's
1: writing the music column for the journal in Newcastle, definitely finger on the pulse. (laughs) I have never attended the mass torture and execution of farmyard animals. He should get out more. (laughs) But I imagine the noise they would make would be very similar. Thank you. Whoever you are.
0: Well, he's, he's obviously the anti-matter Derek Taylor. Yeah. That. Uh, Thank you curmudgeon's everywhere. <laughs> he's maybe still shell-shocked. Um, yeah, not much love from the newspapers in Newcastle. Then the 24th, they're at the ABC uh, Cinema in Hull. And then the 25th, uh, they're having another break. Another day off. Nothing really. No. No. Relaxing by the bull. Uh, no. What are they
1: doing? They uh, uh, Granada Television Studios in Manchester <laughs> to film a performance and interview for the programme Late Scene Extra and Scene at Six Thirty. We should bring back television programmes called Late Scene Extra and Scene at Six Thirty, and we should have them fronted by Gay Byrne. <laughs> Gay Byrne, Irish. Is it the Irish Johnny Carson? I don't know. Um, not really. No. No. But it- this is the uh, this is the point where they
0: asked Gay Byrne to be their manager, manager yeah which, because they didn't have a manager mm, yeah this is i think they were they were winding up um gay or gay burn was winding us up <laughs> well i do like the fact that these, the the spirit of these shows lives on with i think like the one show on bbc1 yes uh, if listeners in a certain geographical region will be aware of the one show there's a fantastic clip of mel brooks on the one show it's this it's this magazine program that goes out on the bbc at 7 p.m. most evenings and it basically has back-to-back stories that don't necessarily have any relationship with each no. other.
1: And you've seen the Mel Brooks clip? I've seen the Mel The Mel Brooks is the two favourite things. One is Mel Brooks. <laughs> the other, I think, is uh, Sarah Milliken, who makes an appearance. But, oh, right. uh,
0: but Mel Brooks is hilarious. Basically, they they tip from a Mel Brooks interview into some very banal, a depressing doc, a story. A
1: a tree. Yeah.
0: And Mel Brooks just screams, what kind of show is this?
1: Very funny. Um, S- Sarah Milliken. Yes, she's interviewing them, uh, the presenters, and she said, "You know, it's amazing. You're on uh, thirty minutes every night, and they say thirty minutes every night and an hour on Wednesday." And she said, "What is Wednesday? Just like the big day for shit news?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yes, and it is live, so they can't really bleep that kind of yeah. thing. Um, yes, so 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 they're doing this local kind of lightweight fair. And um, Granada Television is good to the Beatles in the early days. Granada
1: Television is very good to mm. the Beatles, and we're sort of you know mocking we're not really mocking Granada we're mocking Gayburn well I'm mocking Gayburn <laughs> you can't mock Gay hes Burn. It's, it's in the constitution he's a national can. figure um, but yeah Granada is very good to them and uh, here what they're doing is they, their upcoming single mm-hmm. I Want to Hold Your Hand and this boy the B-side they, they film basically a mimed performance fun fact give the give the fun fact
0: well this is the f- there's the famous bit of footage where George in the mid 70s is in Granada with Anthony Wilson and he's looking at old yeah it's tape and it's this performance of this boy that's recorded on this day is the f- film that he is looking at. So th- this is the day it is recorded.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this is George at his most, I suppose, anti-Beatle, cynical yep. period. And he's just grinning
0: from ear to ear and kind of going, you know, quite good. You know, they're quite good. <laughs> but it's, it's, I think when we say Granada TV was good to the Beatles, this is also an example of the Beatles being good back to Granada yes. TV. That, you know, they have a tour break and they're still... Paying back to their local regional television because Granada will also kind of cover into Merseyside and into into Liverpool, so we'll get seen. And speaking of Liverpudlians, Ken Dodd is also on the show. Ken though. Dodd, mm. uh, yeah, Ken Dodd is he the new Silla Black? Uh, no, because Ken Dodd is, is fantastic. Great. Ken Dodd is great. And I won't hear a word against the magic of Ken Dodd. and I his could I could Yeah, fine. We're, well, we can still mention him every now and then. We don't yeah. have to be deeply to be cynical about everything. no. no. <laughs> no. Okay, fine. Um, and, and that's their day off on the 25th of November. There's still a little bit of touring left to be done. Uh, the Regal Cinema in Cambridge on the 26th of November. And I quite like that there's a 12-man Vespa scooter squad sent uh, by the police. I can't imagine. I'm just thinking of those you know those kind of acrobatic police <laughs>
1: displays—two guys on the end with yeah, their arms out, and everybody's yeah. kind of balanced like a huge triangle <laughs> pyramid on Vespas. I—that I, I imagine that's—that's that's probably, that's probably uh, that must what have the, been what they were doing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yes, that's Cambridge. I don't know if was there any local Cambridge Pink Floyd people in the audience? Maybe not. So, from the twenty-sixth of November at the Regal Cinema in Cambridge, they travel to York. I'm working there that's a couple of hundred miles Mm -hmm. Uh, on the 27th of November Um, at this point they get the announcement that She Loves You has sold over a million copies in the UK
1: Yes Hmm. and in celebration all the lights go out in the (laughs) theatre and the
0: curtains have to be pulled back a la the Muppet Show manually Yes Yes. Yes.
1: so there was some electrical fault but clearly uh, you know it's a fuse that
0: affects the curtains obviously the amps still work but again in terms of sales we are looking at Hundreds of thousands. We're now into millions of sales. Yeah. And She Loves You will be the biggest selling single. Of all time in British history, up to that point, until ever. No, I think it. Ever. Gets, no, it gets replaced by uh, Mull of Kintyre. Stephen. Ever. You should know that Mull of by ever. Paul McCartney. No, no, never heard. You no, know that song. It goes like this: Mull of No, no. Okay. Oh, Mulligan <laughs> It's like Mike Yarwood's theme thinking. Yeah. Um, so, She Loves You has sold over a million copies, which is pretty rare, and. You know, it's, again, this whole planning of there's another single on the horizon. It's just building. It's just building all the time. The 28th of November, they're at the ABC Cinema in Lincoln. And um, Ringo, is he well? He's got earache. Yeah. So he has to have his ear syringed at the local hospital.
1: Those are the days, one, when you could get your ear syringed. And two, there was a local hospital.
0: (laughs) Have you ever had your ear syringed? I have, many times. They don't do it anymore. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had it done years ago, and... um, uh, Did you enjoy it? It's like kind of a hedgehog having his dinner. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's that kind of thing. (laughs) I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it.
1: Okay. Um, I thought they, uh, in, in the Irish National Health, they actually used a hedgehog <laughs> no, 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 to no. remove the wax.
0: No, so. although that's interesting. And um, But this is, once again, Ringo's ailments. He probably had a big tin of beans afterwards to fulfill himself. And after the concert, they went uh, to a hotel near Doncaster. And what happened?
1: Uh, the, the car was driven being, being driven so erratically by a chauffeur. <laughs> that the, Upon their arrival, they... Uh, got on the phone to Brian, who was back from New York, to say,
0: get us a new driver. (laughs) Fire him. Um, And this leads to the 29th of November, 1963. The gig is in Huddersfield, but there's more important stuff going on.
1: There is. uh, This is the release of their fifth single, I Want to Hold
0: Your Hand. So we've done an episode on I Want to Hold Your Hand. Did we? Yes, we did. And um, But... It is a maelstrom that they are putting this into. A number one album replacing a number one album. And now we're trying to get to the point of a number one single replacing a number one single.
1: Yeah. So we had the announcement on the 27th that She Loves You had sold over one million copies. I Want to Hold Your Hand has pre-orders of more than a million copies in the UK.
0: Yeah. So this is... They are fighting with themselves at this point. Yeah. It's it's almost like a a game to say, how big can we get? Well, we're going to put... One thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. And they are in no way taking their foot off the gas. As I said earlier on, they're in no way trying to do a victory lap. This is just it. Yeah. So within a week, it goes to number one
1: and it pushes She Loves You to number two. So they're number one and number two in both the
0: album and the singles charts in the UK. So they've arrived. Mm-hmm. They've a luck. But not only have they arrived... Again, we point out there is no precedent for this type of arrival, this type of behaviour, this type of success. This is the point at which time
1: they are outgrowing the constraints of show business Mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom. Mm. It just can't contain this phenomenon. I mean, it's clear at this point that they're going to go to America. And, you know, whilst no British group or no British performer has really conquered America, you've got to think... Epstein must have been pretty confident. Mm. You know, this is unprecedented in the UK. The, the
0: the US media are already taking an interest. They're primed, ready to go. And the other thing that the Beatles would know about this is uh, that there is a movie coming. So the Beatles are very confident that yeah. beyond the tour, they are going to Paris, they're going to America, they are going to be making a movie. The paperwork is in place for that as well. And at the Irish gigs, they are meeting with their screenwriter and they're starting to assemble what a hard day's night will be like so they know what's coming next even if maybe nobody else knows what's coming next yeah the
1: cinemas that they're playing mm-hmm. they're all the abc cinemas yeah what about the people who want to go and
0: see films <laughs> that is so true you know uh, well, the other thing is that on the 29th of November 1963, um, there's a, a, a small mention in a Liverpool newspaper. There is startling press,
1: uh, press announcement in the Highton. We got, we got uh, told off for saying Hoyton. Oh, Hoyton, it's Highton, is it? The Highton and Prescott Courier carries an advert placed by Mr. and Mrs. Jameson confirming that, contrary to local rumours, their 18-year-old daughter, Elva, will not be marrying Ringo Starr. Oh. There's probably a play there or a drama. <laughs> I mean, what's the story behind that? You think that's like Elva, 18 years old, is telling people she's going out with Ringo, she's going to marry Ringo? Well, did Ringo know this person, maybe? Let's let's uh, put that. We don't really have a list of questions for Ringo. We have lots of questions, so um, we'll just write that down. Do, does Question number one, Ringo did you know Elva Jameson Jameson and if so in what
0: capacity <laughs> okay um, and so we get to the end of the magnificent November 1963 they go to the Empire Theor- Theatre in Sunderland and uh, they've played there before they had and I think this is the measure
1: of what has happened mm. across 1963 so they had previously played there on the ninth of February 1963 on the bottom of the bill of a tour headlined by Helen Shapiro.
0: And this is the whole point, that from the 1st of November to the 30th of November, there are all these kind of moments going off. And we should point out that the tour does continue on. It does. It it continues on until the 13th of December 1963. But that's a whole different episode. (laughs) That's a whole different month. Um, Yes, so they, they finish their tour, they do their London residency, they go to Paris, they go to America, and it all takes off. But... The premise that from the very start, a Beatles month can contain more activity than most groups' years is kind of contained in all of this. And we also kind of see in the wider sense, you know, there's a a global change as well from events that happen in Dallas.
1: I think it's completely transformational Mm. in the UK. And I think, you know, the assassination of Kennedy that is obviously a factor that comes into play and we talked about this on the, the Ed Sullivan episodes, but this month is completely transformational they go from what is possibly seen as a short term flash in the pan pop group mm-hmm. phenomenon even they are making plans to do things you know, may last a year or two they're absolutely now embedded in UK culture you know, yeah. they they playing these gigs 120,000 people they've 20 million people have seen them on TV. They've been greeted by royalty, which is hugely impressive in America. You know, Ed Sullivan will will kind of mention this, you know, uh, so they, they absolutely are established as permanent residents on the charts and a fixture on British front pages, newspapers.
0: And so we all know what happens next, but I guess the point we're trying to make is to be back in the eye of that storm. You know, Brian knew what was happening next. The four of them knew what was happening next, but they also didn't know what was happening next. In some ways, it's not like they'd written the songs for a hard day's night or any of those kind of things. There's still a lot riding on their talent.
1: Yeah, I think regardless of the fact that we're saying, you know, this is a fantastic strategy, this is brilliantly thought out. There are elements of good luck, of coincidence, of circumstance pushing them forward. And they know they're going to go to America but arguably, they don't have time to think about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's as you say, every the, the amount of things that happen in November, they don't have even on a day off. It isn't a day off. Uh, they're 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 still pushing forward, and there's no long term planning. I mm-hmm. think they're just moving from stage to stage.
0: Yeah. But what do you think, everybody? November sixty three is it the most pivotal in out period in Beatle history from the first to the thirtieth? Uh, There's a lot of changes there. Um, We remain available in all the usual places. www.nothingisrealpod.com is the website and your portal to all the stuff. The Facebook Nothing Is Real group our communications on X, um, Instagram and Mastodon and TikTok. And we're always happy to hear from you. We want to thank all our Acast Plus subscribers. There's a whole world of Acast Plus episodes for Nothing Is Real supporters. Again, go to www.nothingisrealpod.com for more information. Uh, But for now, my name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Corcroft. And you've been listening to Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.